Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. I'm your host, Deepa Shreeder. And we got three things. I'm getting right to it. Right to it this episode. No time to waste. I, this, this might be a quickie episode. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, need to, I need to not like call the number, call the time before I know anything. Well, let's get into it. Thing, thing one. Thing one, um, I wanted to take a moment because I, I feel like thing one is that category number where I get to sort of talk about talk about food or drink that I'm a, either super into, a thing I made, a thing I want to spotlight, and this week it's no exception. Essentially, um... I want to talk about quail. I want to talk about why quail is the perfect, perfect, perfect. It's my favorite, favorite poultry. I love chicken. I mean, truly, there there might be nothing better on the entire planet than a roasted chicken. And you can you can roast a chicken however, which way you want. But if we're going with favorite, more than duck... Yeah, more than duck, more than any other bird. I love quail. I love quail for a few reasons. Because I realize, and I know this because I, I do a whole dinner series, right? Where the main course is always quail-centered. If you're not getting the vegetarian option. And... A lot of times people people will be like, oh, this was my first experience with quail, which to me, and not in some kind of elitist way, just it's it's just shocking to me because we're here in Texas and Texas is um we have an abundance of quail here in Texas. That's just that's just a fact of the matter. Texas quail, get into it. It's delicious. Um but it's so interesting to me because yes, it is a game bird, but out of all the game birds, I find it to be like the least gamey of game birds. I would find duck to be more gamey than quail, to be honest. It's um, it's beautifully sized, right? It's 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 a little bit about. I would say each quail is about six six ounces or so. Six to seven ounces. And you cook it quickly, unlike chicken, right? You're looking for a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of pink in your bird. The tiniest bit, a whisper of it. You burn it on purpose, and that's how you get, honestly, the best quail. The best quail is the burnt quail. And I feel like it's it's one of those foolproof birds. And I think people find it to be challenging. Um, but I would argue that there is no better meat to practice. If you're, if you're new to the grilling meat game, I highly suggest quail. Two to three minutes on each side. Let it rest for literally a minute and a half. 
cut it in half. Take a look, take a look within its organs. If it's a bit too pink for you, flash it back on the pan with the organ side down, with the inside side down, okay? Flash it for 20 seconds, 25 seconds. Get it off the grill and it'll be delicious. It's perfect. You can marinate it for as little as two hours, for as much as 12 hours. It's incredible. It's ready to go. I feel like more people need to get into quail. And it's amazing for this time of year, right? We're talking about how holiday season is like the perfect time to basically have cheese boards at the ready. Talk about if you want to expand that board a little bit. Still going with that whole board concept, right? Get you about six to eight quail. Six to eight quail, all right? Also, getting six to eight whole quail, pretty economical. It's expensive if you're trying to get like 10 pounds of quail, okay? But the truth of the matter is, you don't need a whole lot of it. Six to eight quail, that's about a pound and a half pound, pound of meat. You're going to spend about 10 bucks for about four quail. Marinate, marinate in lots of chilies, lots of acid, lots of spices, a little bit of cream. Let it hit a hot cast iron. Serve it alongside your cheese board. It is, it is a to-go finger food ready for you. I mean, make sure to have a bunch of napkins because it is messy, but it is made. It is made for holidays. You don't need to put, you know, little meatballs on a toothpick. You don't need to make hors d'oeuvres. You could just like add quail to your cheese board. It'll look beautiful. It'll look dramatic. And it's just ready to go. But yeah, I I am just so excited when what usually happens is after people have that third course, they're like, on my dinner series, they'll be like, oh, where can I get quail? Or I'll get DMs of like, oh, can I cook this at home? The answer is yes. So what that informs me is that I need to be making a lot more quail-centric content. So 2024, at least at least for this gal right here, at least for this chef right here, 2024, even more quail. All right, let's get to thing two. Things I love in the month of December. I love holiday cheese boards, charcuterie boards. Not to plug, but to plug. Don't worry. New holiday newsletter coming out soon, 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 soon with a new recipe. Just just putting it out there. What I don't love in the month of December. Food trend articles food trend prediction articles of like, what is 2024 going to be filled with? Uh, I hate it for two reasons. Number one, I hate it because uh, it's, it's virtually, 
impossible to figure out trends. Because trends are not um, linear anymore. They don't come down a pipeline, if that makes sense. It, it doesn't start from the best fine dining chef in the best fine dining restaurant in New York City. And then, and then you can understand where everyone else is going to in the country. You know, that, that's not how the world works anymore. Thank God for that. Thank God. Um, and, and that could take any metropolitan city and, you know, just, just understand that there was once a time that articles were written in that sort of effect. So I'm not, I'm not yearning for like, go back when that's not what I'm saying. Um, nowadays food trends, quote unquote, are chaotic a lot of it comes from TikTok, and TikTok is an unreliable source of quality, right? But just as the internet is, uh, food trends come from, from uh, virality instead of quality. And also, if you read these food trend articles, as I do, because once I hate something, I obsessively read it. A really cool quality I have. <laughs> but if you read them, they're all getting more and more vague because there's no need for them to exist anymore. You know what I mean? Like one article uh, basically was like, nostalgia will be back in 2024. Do you know how long nostalgia has been back? Since... Forever, since time has existed. That, that's not a food trend prediction. Nostalgia was back this year. Nostalgia will be back next year. It's fun to look back. That's not a food trend. People want to eat good things. Nostalgia will be back forever. You know, it's, it's less about... Um, the dishes and more about just like getting the article done. I don't blame the food writer, mind you. I blame food media in general. I blame the fact that because we are needing to have as many clickbait articles out there, it has nothing to do anymore with like, this is information, this is news you can use. But it happens. It happens every year. At this time, we have to just sort of endure, endure nonsense articles. You know, at least best of lists. And I understand some best of lists are better than others. And, and this is a, a subjective sort of thing. Whether you hate them or you like them or whatever, at least there's some sort of um, value you get from it, right? you will probably learn about a new place. Would you necessarily think it's the best? I don't know. You got to go and try it. But I, I understand the value there. But food trend prediction articles or food trend articles in general, I just wish we would just stop. We just stop. We crave chefs doing dope shit. 
And this is the stuff that sort of makes it more difficult. It just does. It, it, it has nothing to do with what someone wants to create. And, and also, it, it, it has no value to anybody, right? Like, I don't know one person that is like, oh, this is the food trend of the year. And then is like, oh my God, I can't wait to try it at a restaurant. That, that's never happened. It, it's literally just for the internet. That's it. On the other side, I have never seen a chef try and create a menu of like, okay, I have to use this because it's trendy. I feel like there are like trendy moments, but that's like within chef circles. And that's like, that's like a whole separate conversation that gets into like why like Kampachi was on every menu in Austin, Texas, where like it didn't make sense. Right. That's neither here nor there. That's that's a little bit more like in the town, in the circle of the culinary powers that be. What I'm talking about, though, is food media trying to write something that's grasping at relevancy or trying to deem that this is what will happen in the future. And what I'm trying to say is that it would be like as if, and I don't know if this happens, right? I, I, I can only talk to the food world, but it would be, I would, I would find this to be inane that if like in the art world, museums were like next year for artists, for galleries, this is, this is going to be the trend. That would be stupid. You'd be like, well, why would you say that? An artist is going to create whatever they want to. I have no idea if you can hear like Bagheera like literally just jumping everywhere. Um, so I apologize if you're just hearing a lot of thudding noises, a lot of just insane sort of claws on walls. It's because there are claws on walls. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I hate it. And I wish I wish this was not a part of this this year as it is every year. But here we are. But if you are listening to this, when you see a food trend article, just just pass it on by. Don't be like me. Don't obsessively read it so you can roll your eyes and then scream in your phone about it. Let's get to thing three. Let's do it. And thing three, thing three, I just, I was, I was trying to sort of um, come here with some sort of holiday cocktail recommendation and I realized that I'm sort of like, not, not having that space, not, not, it it can't come from me because I, I don't like holiday cocktails. I just don't, you know, I can't, I can't get into eggnog. I can't like it, it, it just, it's, it's not what it is. But then, then I thought about it and I was like, okay, because the only cocktail I really like to gravitate towards is is a martini and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that and say, "Guys, something you don't know about me is I love a martini." Everybody knows that. How many episodes of this podcast has mentioned a martini? Y'all know it. But I thought to myself, 
what would I want to drink? And I realized it would be something that was close to a New York sour. But I don't, I, I'm not huge. Um, I'm not huge on like the creaminess of a cocktail. But I thought about it and I was like, what if, what if I worked side by side on a New York sour? So New York sour, basically it's like bourbon on the bottom. It's got like a layer of egg white that's been really, really, really like well foamed um, right on the top. And then it's got a floater of red wine with, with some other things. I think, I think like, you know, there might be a simple or two in there. This is just like right off the dome. I have no idea. I, I, I didn't look it up while I was talking about it. And I, I like that because it feels still like a cocktail that you could have, I presumably, uh, at any time, though, I, I can't imagine someone in the summertime being like, I would love a New York sour. Does that happen in New York? People who listen to this podcast in New York, are you drinking New York sours in the summertime in August on a rooftop? Tell me if you are. I bet you, you aren't, though. This is probably in, in the, the cold winter months, right? Um... And then I was kind of curious and I was like, I wonder if this would be disgusting or something, if there was something to it, if you made this cocktail with like coconut milk. So I think that's what I'm going to work on. I'm going to work on how do you build a New York sour either with egg white or with stiffened coconut cream. And I will report back. I will make these things. I will make these things that are either going to be very disgusting and make me and my friend Alex try it. Or they're going to be delicious and I'm going to have a new holiday recipe for you. I think, I think that's it for the podcast. I know, I know this is coming out later. I apologize. We just finished the very last uh, 2023 menu for the million Texan kitchen. And we only have, by the way, um, a brunch menu, uh, for January, two days, not three days. Um, and for the foreseeable future, that'll be the last, uh, the million Texan kitchen menu for, for a while. So if, if you were curious about the dinners, you know, you, you won't be going to a dinner because it's January and it's cold. And it's outside on a farm. Um, but you can't come for brunch. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, do a sneak preview for uh, the substack of the menu for January down low. So you can take a look at it. Um, but don't worry. In uh, the first half of the year, we've got plenty of pop-ups coming from me, um, different spaces. So I'm really excited to share that with y'all soon. Um, and the other thing is, you know, if you want 
all access to all recipes here on the Substack, including this next holiday recipe coming up for your boards, for your cheese boards all winter long, especially during the holidays. Subscribe, you know, you can do $5 a month, you can do $30 a year. Obviously, one deal is better than the other. If you can't do either, email me. Let me know what you can do. And this will be a good stocking stuffer, a virtual stocking stuffer for for the person who is curious about food, who has every cookbook, who wants who wants things done a little bit more weirder, wilder, more existentialer. <laughs> Um, but thank you guys for all your support. Thank you for the listens and I will talk to y'all next week, hopefully on time. Um, but yeah, I'll talk to y'all soon.